jump in at Mark 6 verse 35. By that time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, and Jesus had been teaching as they gathered because he had been compassionate for them. But this time it was late in the day and his disciples came to them and said, this is a remote place. It's already late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give them to eat? Verse 38, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to all the... Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied. Actually, I missed the bit there. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. I mean, this is an amazing story as we look at what happens in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. It's an amazing story where we see this miracle taking place. And just a few verses later, we're going to end with, we see that the disciples are facing a storm. And there's a journey in between those two bookends that we're going to look at. But Jesus goes straight from feeding the 5,000 to sending the disciples out into probably the greatest storm they had faced on those waters um, as the winds buffeted against them. There were about 5,000 men, it says, that were gathered. We know that there were also women and children. And God said that, I mean, just before God does this amazing miracle, it says that they were in this remote place, they were hungry, but there was a desire in their heart for the word of God. I just love that. There was a tremendous hunger in them for the word of God. Jesus was teaching and they were there because they would rather have the living word. They'd rather have the bread of heaven than just fill their um, bellies with temporary things. It says that in Deuteronomy 8 verse three, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And there was something in them. It wasn't just a, a Sunday moment where they thought, oh, we can wait till next Sunday to go. But there was a desire in them. There was this hunger. There was this vitality of heaven, the sustenance that they wanted to, to not only digest but ingest so that there could be a metabolism of the goodness of God, a metabolic work happening within them. And there was this hunger, this tremendous hunger for God's word. And the encouragement that comes as we look at this passage is that if you've got a hunger for the living word of God, God will always supply your needs. We read it in Matthew 5 verse 6, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be, uh, will be filled. And we know that as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are added. So the disciples come and say, but they're hungry. And Jesus says, not only will I give them food, but I will give them bread as well. They don't need to depart. And this stuns the disciples a little bit, and it surprises them. And Jesus asks a question that's meant to provoke something in their hearts, but also to provoke something in our hearts as we look at God's provision and multiplication. And he asks this question, what do you have? What do you have? The first key I want us to see as we're looking at this is that the miracle always begins with what you have. Here's an encouragement. I know that you've heard this before, but the miracle always begins with what you have. 
So often when we're coming to God, we're coming to God out of a place of lack, out of a place of not enough, out of a place of wanting provision, out of a place of saying, Lord, I need this in my life, this in my life, this in my life, this in my life. And we're approaching him with lack rather than approaching him to give thanks for what we have in our lives. We're not looking at what we do have. And Jesus is showing a pattern here that the miracle actually begins with what you have. Because we start to receive our provision, not when we're looking at the storm, not when we're caught up with what seasons of life that we might be in, but when we start to recognize what we have. It's in that place of recognizing what we have that God can multiply it. So even as I'm sharing, I want to encourage you, I want to pull you out of a place of of being aware of lack and what you don't have. And I, I hope you appreciate I'm sharing this message after you've given, so there's no compulsion in that regard. But I want to pull you out of that place See, this is too important to hidden show in a giving moment. It's to set you up into destiny for what God's got for your life and spiritual breakthrough. So don't get caught up in your lack, but start to recognize what you have that you can give God thanks for. And the irony of this passage is that when it's reading it, it says they only counted the men. It says there were 5,000 men there. They didn't count the women and the children. And it's ironic because the one that they didn't count is the very one that God counts to bring the miracle about. You know, it's a little boy. You know, if you look at it statistically, they say there would have been 5,000 men. There would have been women and children at minimum of at least 15,000 people there. But in the midst of that, it's a little boy with his lunchbox that God is saying, he's the one. He might have been counted out, discounted, not seen as valuable enough, not significant, no worth. What can he add in that moment? And God's attention and his focus falls on him and says, that's the one I'm wanting to use. That's the one I'm gonna take the little that he has and I'm gonna do much, not only for him, but for all of you to recognize that I'm the God that notices those that others don't take notice of. And so where others might be ignoring you, where others might be failing to acknowledge you. Maybe you've come into this place and you felt insignificant and you feel that you don't count. I want to say he says that you count. He sees you. He sees the little that you have. And if you are able to recognize that and come before him, not out of the lack, but out of the thanks, he can do an amazing work. And I got a little bit tearful around that moment today. And I thought I better come out quick and saying, I was also a little boy who had his lunchbox taken away for, (laughs) for a time or two. So I can feel the emotion of this text. <laughs> but God is saying this, when you recognize what you have, I can multiply it. And then Jesus gives a, a strange command because um, I'm reminded of this phrase that Julian always says, you know, when the day goes long and you haven't eaten, you can find yourself getting frustrated and angry and things because you're hungry. And Julian calls it being hangry. And uh, you can imagine that they're in the midst of this place. It's hot, the beating sun, they haven't eaten. There's been lots that's being said to them. And in the moment that suddenly the, that the hunger's um, gnawing at them, Jesus gives this command to the disciples. He says, separate them into groups of hundreds and into groups of fifties. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, when it's been a long day, when I'm, I've maybe been in the sun, I'm a little bit tired, what isn't gonna give me joy and strength is an administrative task. That's not what's going to fuel me. And it's in the midst of that moment that Jesus says, at least 15,000 people, get them into groups of hundreds and fifties, start to put them around. And it starts to, they start to do that. I mean, this would have taken ages. Why would you do that? 
The second key that we need to realize, and this is one that I need to remind myself of, and we need to be reminded of in this generation of instant gratification and hurry, is that some of God's greatest miracles take time. Sometimes we need to understand that God's greatest miracles aren't motivated by or driven by need or necessity or hunger or worldly timetables or people's expectations. They're driven by heaven's agenda and timetable. And this is what's happening in the midst of this moment. Hebrews 10 verse 36 reminds us of this. It says, for you have need of patience. George, you have need of patience. So that when you have done the will of God, after you have done that, that you may receive what is promised. So often I want to receive what is promised so that I can do the will of God. He's saying, no, you need patience so that when you get about my business, caught up with it, then you might be positioned to receive the reward that I have for you, the blessing, the promise that I have for you. And it's the beauty of knowing this is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Tonight we're gonna be talking about spirituality and spiritual formation and just looking how we can have um, these things, uh, capacity built into our lives. But some of God's best miracles take time because there needs to be that capacity. He needs a bit of order and structure so that he can bring the breakthrough and so that it doesn't break you. I said that a few weeks ago. Because sometimes if we don't have the banks built up in our lives, those rivers of life will come and they will cause, and what happens is they, they break, things are broken down because there isn't capacity to hold that which God is wanting to do in and through us. And so there, there needs to be capacity built in us in terms of character, in terms of godliness, in terms of um, ability to carry and steward what God's doing. We need to, to allow that, that order and structure, so that we can receive the magnitude of God's blessing that he does want to pour out upon us. It's one of the things that we need to allow God to do. And then it says, they brought the bread to Jesus. They gave him what they had, and Jesus took it and blessed it. Five loaves and two fish. They bring it to Jesus, he takes it and blesses it and gives thanks for it. It's an amazing thing because what he's doing here is he's blessing that which is not enough. So often we want to give thanks for what is enough. Jesus is allowing it to be brought for him. He looks up to heaven and he's not concerned by the lack in front of him when he's aware of the abundance wanting to be poured out about him. And he's blessing that which is not enough. In the midst of the hungry, in the midst of the multitudes, in the midst of those watching and demanding and needing, in the midst of having his, his heart provoked for them, he gives thanks for that which is not enough. He's not shifted in his faith. Another key I wanna bring is this. We need to be grateful even when, you have is, even when what you have is not enough. We need to be grateful even when what we have is not enough because God can begin to multiply what is not enough into that which is more than enough. And the amazing thing with God is when we, get, when we get to understand this and look through his word, you'll never see multiplication following reticence. You'll never see increase in multiplication and breakout following reticence or limitation or lack or attitude of not being thankful or ingratitude. You never see that. Multiplication never follows ingratitude. But multiplication, little becomes much. Bill Johnson said this, I love this quote, little becomes much in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Little becomes much in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. It's a, it's a beautiful key 
Thanksgiving that opens the door to the miraculous. You see Jonah and he's in the belly of a whale. And in the midst of being in the belly of a whale, it's a, a place I would not feel too thankful normally. But in the midst of that place, he offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And, he's been, and, and in the midst of that moment, he's brought forth into purpose and destiny even when he had been going on a different path. We see Lazarus, Jesus comes and he starts to, to pray and give thanks to God. And in the midst of that, the one who has been dead for four days and smelling like it as well, suddenly there's resurrection life that's released. Jesus in this moment gives thanks and we see multiplication of the loaves and the fish. My encouragement to us here today is won't you just for a moment, won't you for a moment just say, Father, I'm thankful. Just think of something that you have where you move yourself and pull yourself out of a lack mindset into a, a place of gratitude and thankfulness because as we do that corporately here, I wanna say it creates an atmosphere of thanksgiving and gratitude in this place that allows an environment of multiplication. So much so that we'll see the overflow of that which is what God is wanting to do. We want this atmosphere to be an atmosphere of gratitude and thankfulness. Just take a moment and do that because in the midst of what I'm sharing, it's that place that the miracle starts. was a little bit hard for me because while I'm sitting here, uh, I had my car battery go dead on, on Friday and so I replaced it and I got a wonderful discount because it's the first time in my life I went to battery center and, and this is terrible and I'm gonna confess, I said, I'm a pastor, can I have a discount? <laughs> I had no pride at that moment and uh, I got my discount but I got caught out because my wife was sitting at home with the battery dead again. And so when I'm thinking in the service, I think when I'm gonna preach on being thankful, what am I gonna th give thankful for? And you know what? I drove here in another car that's got a battery that's working, so I'm gonna give thanks for that battery. But uh, you, you, know, you so often focus on uh, what you're not wanting to give thankful, thanks for. But yeah, it says that he took jumper cables. He, he took the bread and he took the, the fish and he blessed it and he gave thanks for it. And here's the thing, he's, he's blessing the bread, he's giving thanks for the bread and the two loaves, and guess how much there was in that moment? The inventory hadn't changed. There were still five loaves and two fish. Still the same, nothing had multiplied, nothing had increased, until he did something else. He broke it, and when he broke it, he started distributing it and giving it to the disciples, and they started to distribute it. And something supernatural took place at that moment, and the multiplication happened. And here's a point that not all of us like to hear, and I shared about two weeks ago, the, the breakthrough is often in the breaking. I wanna say that the blessing is often in the breaking. Not so easy to hear, that's not the point that you're wanting to celebrate at. But some of us might be here, and we might feel we're at the breaking point. We might feel that we've come to the edge. We, we cannot go any further. There's no more capacity in us. There's no more ability in us. We feel like we could just snap and we, we, we ride at that place. And I wanna prophetically declare, I wanna prophetically declare that the miracle often takes place at the breaking point. It's at that place where we acknowledge that I'm, you say, Lord, I feel like I'm breaking, that he can re release the blessing of resurrection life in and through you. And we see this happening in this moment. And maybe you've experienced that. You know, it says in um, Jeremiah, it's speaking about uh, at the prophets, uh, it's talking about at the potter's house. And he has this picture of the potter's house and the potter is, is with such um, artistry and such 
beauty involved and such um, creativity in what he's doing, such a tender touch. He's shaping vessels to be useful for his glory. But in the midst of this moment, there's a vessel where there had to be, uh, in a sense, a breaking so that there could be a remaking for the purposes of what God has. And sometimes we need to allow a bit of breaking in our life so that we can see the blessing. Now, I'm not questioning his character. He, his breaking is always to release life and life in abundance. It's the enemy that comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But I'm saying there are things in our life that maybe there needs to be a little bit of breaking of, in terms of habits, in terms of addictions, in terms of mindsets, in terms of behaviors, various things like that. But there's also an enemy that wages an attack that comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Here's my encouragement in the midst of that. If you've experienced that breaking, that rejection, that disappointment, that alienation, that sense of a curse weighing down upon you, that sense of a broken home or a broken marriage or a broken relationship. You might have experienced breaking, but the beauty is this. When God gets involved and you start to give thanks in the midst of the breaking, it's there that he can release his blessing. And so I just speak blessing over you if you're finding yourself in the midst of that moment. Don't get discouraged because he knows how to bless you out of the breaking. He knows how to bless you out of the breaking. And he fed the multitude through the breaking process. And, and here's a beautiful thing. I've said this before as well, that God can do beautiful thing with broken pieces. And it's out of the breaking that he takes the broken pieces. And sometimes it's the broken pieces of what we've gone through that God can use not only in our lives, but in others' lives to feed the multitudes. And we need to realize that God can do beautiful things with those things. So where there's been a breaking, start to bless him and give thanks for his presence in the midst of that, that he can turn it to blessing, not only for you, but for others as well. Here's the, the fifth key I just wanna mention. The, blessing flows, the blessings flow through your hands, not from your hands. The blessings flow through your hands, not from your hands. You see, we can get into this mindset that we, we feel that we've done something with our own hands. We can actually um, relegate God right out of the picture. Look what I've done. Uh, and, and in our giving, it's, it's dependent. I don't know, this, I've done this with my hands. We need to recognize whatever blessing that we might be living in, it might be happening through our hands, but it's from his hands. He has blessed you. He has given you the ability. He has given you the faculty. He has given you the tenacity. He has given you the courage. He has given you the, the strategy and the wisdom for how to go about and to live in the blessing that he's caused. But the blessing comes from him and it comes through your hands, not from your hands. It, should, it shifts the way that you look at things and what you can do. And here's another thing, we need to learn to receive the blessing from other people's hands as well. Even as Rich shared uh, last week, he said, the Lord prepares a table before us in the midst of our enemies. I love that statement that says it's the presence of our enemies that often reminds us to feed. Sometimes it's even through the hands of our enemies that we can get fed. That sounds a little bit strange, but let me back it up with a story that I heard of a lady who loved to give thanks for God. Every morning she'd walk out on her front porch and she would just say, thank you God for all that you've done for me. Um, and she would just give thanks and go through the whole checklist. But she had a neighbor who was angry at God and didn't believe in God. And he used to listen to this and it used to infuriate him. So one morning she came out and she, was, um, she didn't have much. She was very uh, humble with meager possessions. And one morning she came out and she gave thanks for just the bountifulness of God's heart towards her and just said, you know, I don't have, I don't have food in my closet. Anyway, she left it at that. The next morning she walks out and onto her front porch and there's a whole bag full of groceries from Woolworths, everything that you could imagine. And she starts to thank God and say, saying, thank you for providing. And her angry neighbor jumped out and said, 
God didn't provide, I did. I went to Woolworths and brought all of that for you. <laughs> to which she continued to give thanks and said, Lord, thank you for your provision. And you even used the devil to provide it. <laughs> I love, I, I, love, I love when we come to God's word, we see that he loves, he loves that place of fellowship and family. He loves good food. We see throughout scripture, it speaks about feasts, it speaks about meals, it speaks about tables, it speaks about banquets, it speaks about inviting people in, it speaks about participating, it speaks about communion, that face-to-face, being in the presence of God. He loves that. He's, he's also a mathematician. He knows every star in the sky, every hair on your head. He, he knows every detail. And what amazes me in this moment is that he would have known the precise amount of food for every man, every woman, every child that was gonna be there. Not only the right amount to feed them each, but the right amount to give them precisely that they would have fully enough so that they couldn't eat a bite more. He knew that exactly. But the beauty of who he is and his heart and how he responds and multiplies is even in the midst of that, he chose to give them overflow. He doesn't just wanna meet, he doesn't wanna just give you enough, he wants to give you more than enough. I've said it before, his name is Al Shaddai, he's the God of bounty and provision, he's the God of more than enough. If he gave you just enough, he wouldn't be living true to his character, he would be removing himself from his own name. His name is more than enough, that's what he does, that's why David says, my cup overflows. There's something about God that he causes the overflow, the more than enough, not just enough to get you by. No matter, um, you know, sometimes that religious mindset, and I said it before, thinks, no, you know, he's gonna give me just enough, maybe a little bit less, less, and I can do the extra to get there. He's the God of more than enough. And our blessing isn't limited to the size of just our container. I did say that he's wanting to build things in our life, those banks, but I wanna say his river of life that flows from his throne of grace, the magnitude of his blessing is forever beyond any limitation on our side. He loves to pour it out and to cause it to overflow, pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. That's how our God likes to do it. And so we see this amazing miracle taking place, but here's the shift as I come to end goes on to say that that immediately after gathering the leftovers, there were 12 buckets of leftovers. How many disciples? 12. Remember what they were saying, you know, are we gonna spend our money to buy them bread? Jesus takes that little boy's uh, sandwich box and his fish, he multiplies it and he says, he has a bucket for each of you just to to, uh, remind you and to stir you up in faith. So they each get uh, a basket of leftovers. And then it says, if you continue to read, Mark 6, uh, verse 45. This is from the King James because the language here is a little bit stronger. So in other versions, it say immediately he, um, he told them to go and get in the boat, but here it puts it this way. And straight away, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. That's quite strong language. He constrained. It means he commanded them. He compelled them. He was obliging them. There was this, this, this divine um, order as such, uh, as such to go and to get in the boat. His intention was they needed to go where they were going. And so we see this happening and his disciples get into the boat and Jesus in this moment, they've got their, their um, takeaway boxes, all 12 of them, they get into the boat and Jesus is commanding them to go to the other side. He knows exactly what he's sending them into, the path of a storm. 
I've mentioned before, some storms that he sends us into aren't meant to shipwreck us, but to prove us seaworthy. You just got to change your perspective. And so that he knows they're going to encounter the storm. And when you encounter that storm, you know the enemy weighs in in that moment. The enemy loves to jump in. The enemy loves to jump even into a moment that God is using to want to bring breakthrough and blessing about you. And he wants you to curse the moment, thinking it's there to destroy you. And so he starts to pull you in and say, maybe you're facing this storm because of judgment. Maybe you're facing this buffeting because of your past. Maybe you're facing this resistance because of, and he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. He loves to add that in. But here's the truth, that Jesus constrained them. He commanded his disciples to get into the boat. They would have wanted to stay on the shore. You know, it's all happening on the shore. They've, they've heard great teaching. They've seen miracles. They've been fed. The shore on the beach of where they were would have been a great place to be because they could have felt blessed and bloated and relaxed on the shoreline. <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad place to be, but in this moment it is because God doesn't want them blessed and bloated on the shoreline, he wants them to go into the storm because sometimes it's only in the storms, not on the shores, only in that place of, of, of in a sense, exhaustion and tenacity and resilience and, and divine effort that we get to encounter what he's wanting to reveal to us rather than just being in the place of apathy on the shore. Sometimes he's wanting to reveal something of who he is in the midst of the storm that we realize in the greatest hardship of what we're facing, this is who our God is. And you wouldn't have discovered that in a shore bloated moment. And so he takes them into the midst of the storm and they are in and they're facing what they're facing. And it says that he starts to walk by. It's, th it's a bit between three and six in the morning. They're exhausted. They've been rowing. They've been rowing. The wind's against them. And in the midst of the darkness, the hardship, the wind, the buffeting, all that's raging around them, someone starts to walk past them and they cry out and he responds and says, John got excited in the midst of that moment. I saw him rowing in the background. Uh, they, they cry out and he responds. And sometimes you have to hear this in the midst of the storm. Sometimes the only reason that you're in the midst of the storm is to hear this. That in the midst of that crying out moment, it's to hear this. Take courage, it is I. Take courage, it is I. And if you look in the Aramaic and the Greek, when he says it is I, it means this, I am. He's saying, I am, I am the living God, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to be. I am the ever presence in God who presents myself in the midst of the circumstance and situation you might be facing. I am that I am. So take courage. And the beauty is that the storm that you're going through is often the path that he takes to get to you. If you'll have faith in your heart. And Jesus, in the midst of this moment, it says in verse 52, he gets into the boat, and as he gets into the boat, the storm stops. Everything quietens down. And he's not angry with them, but he's disappointed. They missed something here. There's something they missed in the midst of this moment. Verse 52, for they did not understand the disciples and had not considered that the miracle of the, they did not understand and they had not considered the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened or their heart was dull. They couldn't actually see it. And Jesus is upset because they, they didn't consider the miracle. 
There's something about God's blessing. There's something about God's miracle. There's something about the testimonies of what God's done in our lives. There's something about his faithfulness which we've experienced that aren't meant to be just for a shoreline moment, but they're meant to be considered in the midst of our storms. And so it's in the midst of that moment that um, he speaks to them and he's wanting them to remember. And this is the two things, if you read the commentaries, that we pull out from remembering what took place in that miracle. It was number one, he wanted them to remember that God is faithful no matter what you might be facing. There's no limitation on God. And the second thing he wanted them to remember is this, that God multiplied the bread in and through their hands. There was something of a participating with his authority, with what the kingdom was doing, that they got to operate in the miraculous power of heaven as well. And he's saying, why aren't you remembering this? You've still got the crumbs of the miracle on you. You've still got the baskets by you. And yet what you're facing is distracting you. Here's an encouragement. Sometimes you've got to tell your future about your past. Sometimes you've got to tell your future about your past. Because the power is not in where you are, but where you've been. You see, when David rocks up and he's facing Goliath standing before him, shouting profanities with a spear and a sword and everything else and all the regalia about him, and David is in the midst of facing him, David's power wasn't there in that moment. David's power wasn't where he had been with God. It was where he had had intimacy. It was where he had faced a lion and a bear, and something of that intimacy gave him an authority that he was able to intimidate the intimidator, as I've said before, and he was able to face him. And when sometime, when you know that, and when you're in that place, as I said previously, when enemies attack you, they actually arm you. Because David went up against Goliath with a sling, but at the end of it, he's got a new sword, Goliath's sword, with which he chops off his head. Sorry, I've been reading cowboy novels. (laughs) I need to be aware that it's not just men, they're women and children as well. But there's something beautiful when we... There's something beautiful when we realize... That our power is not necessarily in where you are, but it's in where you've been. So don't go into the storm without your testimony. Don't go into the storm without your testimony. Remind your future of your past. You know, the word says we overcome the enemy by the by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's not just the word of our testimony that we believe in Jesus, that's first and foremost, but it's also the testimony of that we're walking with Jesus. Because then we remind the enemy we're on a journey and there's someone who is the great I am that's on the journey with us. So we take courage and we're not intimidated, but we're here because there's an invincible working of the kingdom of God that's breaking barriers and limitations. So I just wanna take this moment for us just to sit there. Can I, is uh, Josh here? Josh, why don't you just, just why don't you play on the back of the, the guitar as I just pray for us at this moment. I just want you to take a moment and even as I've said those things, just take a moment and realize what do I have? Don't think of your lack. I want you to think of what you have in this moment. In this atmosphere of thanksgiving, in this atmosphere of gratitude, what do you have in this moment? that you can start to give thanks for right now. Don't think of just material things. Maybe it's in your marriage. And there's been, you've been worried about lack and things you felt are there and not there. I want you to be aware of what you have and the person that's with you. 
the person that God's given you as a gift and give thanks and watch how he multiplies and shifts and changes things around. I want you to think about what you, you have right now that's not enough. And in that place, I want you to offer that up to the Lord and give thanks so that you can allow him to bring his multiplication through that moment. I want you to take that in your life which is enough. That maybe you've taken a little bit of pride in and saying, look what I've done, look what I've built, I'm gonna hold this thing tightly. And I want you to remember that it's come and it's been a blessing from the hand of God so that it can move to you but also through you. And how are you being a release point for that generosity? I wanna encourage you here, if you've been feeling that you've been counted out, that he's wanting to count you in, and he's wanting to do powerful things not only in you but through you, and where there's been broken pieces, and you think, but I'm not worthy, God can do beautiful things with broken pieces. And where you've maybe been feeling that you're going under, that the storm's too strong, that you're not gonna make it, I want you to hear the voice of the Lord that says to you, I'm taking you to the other side. And that where there might be a cry in your heart and maybe you haven't even given your life to the Lord here today. And if you haven't, I wanna invite you. I would love to pray for you afterwards, but maybe you realize now I'm in that place being buffeted by all these things around me. And you just need to let that cry of your heart come out when you shout out and you shout and you cry out to the Lord that he can say, here I am. And that you can welcome him in to the midst of your life, to the midst of your boat and that he can quieten those storms and take you to where you need to be. Lord, I just wanna give you thanks for what you're doing in every life, every family in this house. We're just so grateful for every blessing, Lord. Lord, I just pray that where there have been those moments that we might have said there's not enough, Lord, I wanna give you thanks for even that which looks too little because Lord, I know that you can, you can feed the hungry that are around. Lord, I wanna thank you that you can come and even in the midst of those moments where maybe we felt that there's been breaking, maybe we felt that there's been attack, maybe we felt that all these things have been levied against us, but Lord, you can release your blessing through those moments of breaking. And I wanna thank you, Lord, that you will just come Most of all, stir that hunger that we've got such a hunger for your word, such a hunger for your life, such a hunger for your presence, such a hunger to know you in more, in more intimacy and, and, and more depth. That we would leave everything else for that and I pray that you would multiply that in and through our lives and that you'd bring such a fruitfulness that others would be able to come and taste and see that you are good because of what you're doing in each of our lives and in this house. In Jesus' name I pray.